We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. So we had a, a practice a long time ago of a weekly student life class and that kind of fizzled out for various reasons. Most of them are my fault. Uh, maybe all of them are my fault. But uh, the point being that uh, this is essentially open forum. The, the big topic in the air is, is the political situation, but it's open forum to talk about anything you want. Most common topics are marriage, jinns, end of the world, right? Which all three might be the same thing, you know, for some people. But um, uh, so, any initial questions about anything at all? Are you raising your hand or are you just resting your hand? Okay. Uh, any questions at all about anything you have? How are you? I'm glad I'm doing well. Yeah. Sorry? Oh, in DC, I was visiting my daughters. Oh, you thought I was doing like something top secret? Yeah, you can call it that. No, no, I was just literally <laughs> hanging out with my kids. Yeah, eating Chipotle. You know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the view for the student life class is right here. Yeah, this is this is the view. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 had, I had no witty response to that, so I was going. Really? Wow. So think about all the jokes that I have told. Where Abdullah Ansari is at. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to mention your name. Yeah. <laughs> so, what questions do you have about anything at all? You know, music, Zabiha meat, eating Zabiha meat while listening to music. Who wants to break the ice with a question? Or I'll just start asking questions. What is the third? No, okay, so, so how do you guys all feel about the political situation? Amazing. I got asked like eight times on Monday what my ethnicity is. What'd you tell them? Okay, you should have told them you're from Islamistan. <laughs> right? I am from Islamistan, wallahi. Right. Um, where's your passport? No, we don't use passports. The Quran is my passport. Right. Just see what happens. You know? Do that especially at like a government agency. Yeah. You know? When they ask for your passport, whip out here's Surah Al Baqarah. This is my passport. I don't believe in photos. Yeah. Somebody here is raising a hand. Yes. Hey, brother. Yeah. Yeah. get yourself involved in politics and like everything now like so like you start following like political news and like everything that's going on and like your entire Facebook feed is like filled with political news and like updates and this and that um, and like especially with the recent um, I was initially when like those laws kept on being passed I was out really scared mm -hmm. or like afraid or anxious because I was like oh what's going to happen um, you know like I take Yeah, I would say most of the people you're going to come across are people who are supportive. Maybe not all of them have the time or the strength to stand up, but you'll find the vast majority of people are actually supportive. Uh, nearly every department, some high-level person from nearly every department, has reached out to me saying, what can we do to help the Muslim students on campus, right? Uh, wellness center, 
DSD, and you guys all get the email from the president, right? Yeah. And so uh, a lot of people are very concerned about our well-being, right? And they're all literally saying, okay, just tell us whatever to do, right? And I tell, say to them, repeat after me, ashadu, no, no, <laughs> right, right, no, but the point being that... <laughs> yeah. I, I should try that to see what happens, right? Janan you know? says to give up Dim and NPR for culmination. That make her make her feel whole at this troubling. Time. That we could probably get, you know, you know. But, but um, no. But the the basic point being that yeah, a whole lot of people are concerned uh, about our well-being, definitely on campus. But uh, there are protests in what ninety airports. That's uh, that's not small. Right. Yeah, I mean, it was at all the big ones, but it was literally all over the country. Yeah. Yeah. So what else? How else do you guys feel? You know, over the weekend or even now? Because however you feel, that's probably how many of the other people in the room probably also feel, whether we admit it to ourselves or not. You look like you're about to say something. Jean-Anne or Jane-Anne. Which means you're just saying we're all doomed. Yeah. So why why care? Yeah. Okay. What do you guys think about that? You know, <laughs> no, we're all doomed. I'm not worried about Might it. Might as well eat pork. That, what? I mean, I can't control what's going to happen, so it's kind of comforting. Okay. What do you think? So, like the the analogy to this would be, suppose you're standing at the shore of a beach, okay, and you see a giant tsunami coming at you. Okay. That scares you, <laughs> and so and so the the tsunami was a hundred miles away. You could kind of see it, and it's fifty miles away, and now it's a hundred yards away. What would you do? Stay. Stay and do what? Stand. Just stand there. Yeah. yeah. That's basically what Janan's describing, right? Sorry. Okay. Would you try to run? I mean, it is so close and so large that you know you have no place to run. So it stays. So yeah. So so yeah, this is the question to uh, this is the question for each of us to really really explore cuz uh, I think the tsunami uh, was either launched on 9/11, not with Trump's election. Mm-hmm. Right? Or it was launched way back in 1973. What happened in 1973? That's 79, oh. but, and that's also related. This is uh, OPEC does an embargo on oil, saying we're going to control our oil. Or it could even go back to when oil itself was discovered. Who knows? It's something that's been in place that didn't start, you know, last November. Okay. I'm sorry? And so, so at least since 9-11, I feel like I've been watching the tsunami get closer and closer and closer, right? And there have been a bunch of people in the community who have been trying to build you know, walls to protect from the tsunami. There have been uh, people in the community trying to build pathways to escape from the tsunami. But it's so big and coming so fast that literally, uh, whereas on 9-11 it felt like it was a thousand miles away, now it really feels like it might be a mile away, right? And on the one hand, that's frightening, but it's also a statement about the nature of dunya, okay? So like like Shanann said, there's parts of dunya you have no control over. And in a situation like this, who knows? You know, maybe we're afraid of nothing, okay? Um, or maybe we're afraid of something very, very, very real. Because um, I keep saying, as you guys keep hearing in the Jummah Chutbahs, I have no idea where we're going to be in a year from now, okay? If, if Hillary Clinton was elected, we'd probably have a much better idea of where we're going to be, at least we in America, the rest of the world, who knows, right, because of our foreign policy. But the point being is that if you can bring yourself to be that person who's standing at the beach uh, and the tsunami is arriving right in front of you and you can accept that you have no place to run right now except to just, you know, turn to Allah in these final moments. If you can accept that, then you can accept a certain amount of powerlessness that all of us have, no matter what the situation is. Because that is the same type of powerlessness you have when you're driving your car. You might have a tire blowout and crash. Right? Someone else might have a tire blowout and crash into you. So my point is that one thing to embrace from this is that you are always vulnerable and that you're all sitting here in comfort, mashallah. 
right? And so what I'm saying is there's a certain amount of our fear that we can let go of. Okay? And another way to frame that is uh, me being afraid and me being worried sitting here at 5 p.m. on a Thursday evening. What is that going to change about anything in the world? Right? Uh, sometimes we get afraid or anxious as a way to feel like, okay, we're reacting. But all it does, what, what, what does it do to you if you're worrying? What happens to you? Anyone? Sorry? You get distracted, but even more than that, you just you start corroding inside. You know, when you worry, and then when you worry, like inside, you just start getting eaten alive. And then it can reach a point of anxiety where you can't even do anything because you're having a panic attack, right? And so my point is that the first thing I'm suggesting a person really needs to do in a situation like this is figure out how to truly retreat to Allah, and part of that is to embrace that you are powerless in a lot of things. And this opportunity is an opportunity to to do that. But what am I saying to do that for? Obviously, you should get closer to Allah. I'm saying it'll be easier for you to cope. It's kind of like this. I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine. And so, like, literally, I mean, before 9-11, especially after 9-11, every single person I knew who did any type of community work got questioned by the FBI, right? Funny thing is, I never got questioned, but people got questioned about me. So I don't know if that makes me a boss or, or, or somebody who's too much of a loser for the FBI even to pay attention to. But the point is, yeah, we're not even going to see him. He sucks. We'll just ask somebody. Right? Anyway, so, so the point being that, I'm sorry? Bichara, mashallah, mashallah. Were you fasting today? <laughs> I was going to say you have this nur of someone who's fasting. If then, yes. Okay, no, so, so, no, I was making that up. So, anyway, so. I wonder what else you make up. Every single thing that I say. Okay. Right. Thanks. So, no, it's technically I'm sitting in the back of the room right now. Right. So, um, so, I was having a conversation with this one friend of mine in a different town who was just concerned. All right, you know, is the FBI going to visit me? What are they going to say? And then they actually did visit him one day and asked him some basic questions, and then they left. And for him, that became uh, a moment of relief. It's like, rather than be afraid, what are they doing? Are they monitoring me? He actually felt relief now. It's like, okay, yeah, I know they're monitoring me. And that's that. See what I'm saying? It's like when you're watching a horror film, and then the monster appears. The horror film is usually a lot less scary. I mean, unless the monster actually looks scary. It's the scary part of a horror film is when the monster is, you know, behind you or in the dark. And that's how we kind of feel right now. Like, have you ever seen some, some crazy horror film like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Have you guys ever seen this? Like the original one. But that movie gets scarier and scarier and scarier until the actual Leatherface guy appears. Then it just gets weird, right? Up to that point, you know, you have this case where, like, this woman is running through the cornfield in the middle of the night. Okay, that's scary even to think about. Then when the monster guy appears, then it's just not scary anymore. And so, so what I'm saying is that uh, with the way things are going in our society, it's a guarantee that you're going to have more and more reasons to be afraid. And the first thing you need to do is to take active efforts to take control of your fear, because otherwise your fear is going to tear you apart. And the way to help take control of your fear is to reach a point where you're basically saying to Allah, yeah, Allah, I have no power right now. I have no power in this moment. You have all power. If you can truly internalize that, you will find yourself getting a lot more free. But it takes effort to be able to do that. Because we're used to being tense and being worried as a way to protect ourselves. But that doesn't get us anything. So this is a big, big exercise in the condition of your heart. Yes, sir? It probably is. I'm actually, I'm actually like excited, or not excited, but like yeah, it's weird. Happy, <laughs> happy to see like not that okay that the Muslims are banned from our, from the U.S., but the fact that everyone's uniting uh-huh. and that everyone's now like kind of like the enemy's kind of like clear. Uh huh. Inshallah. Right, and so everybody's united against it. So everyone's working together. So I, I really do like that. That is definitely a very nice thing. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Um, uh, um, that people are getting up and loud and vocal. Um, I the the challenge that power has for something like that usually is not to shut people down; it's just to outlast them, right? And so last weekend was pretty amazing. How many people did stand up? You know, mashallah for that, mashallah, mashallah, right? Uh, the question is, three months from now, will we still have that, or is everyone going to get worn out, right? So yeah. In terms of what we see right now, if it's a sign of things to come, it's both frightening, but it is also hopeful too, right? And understand, um, okay, this is, you know, for lack of a better word, a battle for the soul of the country. You and I are not the only people in this, right? There are a whole lot of people who are saying, no, these guys are not going to take our country, okay? And a way to think about that is, on the one hand, you and I are sort of in the crossfires, we're in the middle of the battle, but you and I also have a stake in all this, all of us also own this country as much as everybody else does. Okay. Whether you've lived here for, for 15 years or whether you lived here for five months, you also own this country as much as the bigots do, as much as the people in power do. So it's kind of like someone's trying to steal your house. Are you going to let them do it? No. Right. But yeah, how many, of you, how many of you feel afraid? And it's okay to admit it. I'm saying it's a real thing. I mean, the guys are never going to be being afraid. They're like, no, I feel excited. Allahu Akbar Takbir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I honestly, like, okay, so my parents kind of echoing off of what Sermon said, like, my dad told me a couple days ago, he's like, okay, well, after, like, 6 p.m., like, I don't want you taking your train. So yeah, me, and, like, I okay, probably feel the same way about my daughters. Yeah, so he's just like, no. Um, but the thing is, like, I don't feel afraid for my safety where we live. Yeah. Because knowing that we live in this, like, bubble of liberals and, you know, and like a huge Muslim community and, and a place that is familiar with Muslims, like that doesn't make me afraid. I mean, I'm afraid for my future, but mm -hmm. I'm, more than anything, I'm afraid for others. Like, I'm afraid for like the people who can't come in, who have to go to different places. And I'm, I'm afraid for like our education system and mm -hmm. our criminal justice system. And I don't know, it's just like, I, I feel, and that in itself is overwhelming because it's so corrupt already. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, like, I feel like I get overwhelmed where I'm just like, I don't know where are we going to go mm -hmm. as a community. Sure. As a community, meaning Muslim community or America? Uh, no, like as a society, as like yeah. an American society. Well, I mean, one thing that's come out of all this is that uh, a lot of these events have reminded me of most of my childhood all the way into my college years. So I was in college when the Soviet Union fell, when the Cold War officially ended. What are you, what are you like, laughing right now? <laughs> Seriously? Seriously? Like, <laughs> mashallah. She's like, mashallah. I didn't, re didn't realize we had someone as old as Nuh al Islam with it. Anyway, anyway, so, so, so the point being that um, <clears throat> when I was in junior high, literally, go ahead, say it. That was before the invention of the cell phone, but we did have television. You guys know what television is, all right, right? Big box thing. Okay, anyway, so, uh, but we were all literally afraid. Eh? Is there a live stream on our phone? Like, what are, you're recording this. I'm recording it. I don't know if it's a good recording. Um, that uh, everyone was literally afraid, this is no joke, that any day could be a nuclear war. Right? The made-for-TV movies were like over and over again about nuclear war. That's what was on our minds in eighth grade. Okay? And, and so, for example, if you do, you look like you had an Sorry, epiphany. I but like if you do a, a, a search on YouTube, look for the day after. Okay. This was this movie, like, so it's like the big movie every week. This is almost before cable, okay. before HBO, all those things. Maybe they just began. Go ahead, laugh, right, Stone Age. Anyway, so, so the day after was literally a movie about some people like in the middle of some Kansas small town. And then one day they get up and there's this gigantic mushroom cloud right? Nuclear bomb lands outside of their neighborhood and all the, like, these lights fly by, you know, from radiation and stuff. So all electricity is gone, and so the whole movie is about them just getting through life, right? And that was so scary. And that's how you guys all feel right now, right? And so what I'm saying, in one way, we've actually already been through stuff like this before. And it was totally scary, totally terrifying. Literally, we thought there could be a nuclear war at any time. Okay. And it was America versus the Soviets, 
the movies were about us versus the Russians. Rocky was fighting this Russian superstar, beats him because he's Rocky. And then, and also, that was West versus East. You know, like, West versus East is now Muslims or America against Islam or America against China. R Russia was the East. And, and literally, you thought any moment some Soviets are going to jump out of the ground and kill us all. Okay? And that's how a whole lot of people feel about us. If you go across the middle of America, they are more afraid of us than you and I are, are afraid of them. Uh, these people across middle America are convinced that you and I are in this secret conspiracy to take over everything, and they really do think Obama was part of this, that he was like the secret Muslim. And some of you who saw me on Facebook, um, yesterday was it? Two days ago? Two days ago, um, through another friend on Facebook, I ran to a friend of mine from high school. Meaning we were in the same classes, homeroom classes in gym, from sixth grade to high school graduation. Last time I saw him was high school graduation more than 25 years ago, more than any of you were born, okay? Probably more than before your parents got married, right? And so, maybe before your parents were born. So anyway, so the point being, no, 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 no. He's uh, about as far right-wing as you can get, Marine, and his whole Facebook feed is either how great the Marines are, or how horrible Islam is. That's literally his whole feed, right? And so, I'm sorry? So we became Facebook friends, because I hadn't seen him in 15 years, and, and part of it was like, all right, this is his view right now, uh, I'm going to make him change his views, mm -hmm. right? So it wasn't just like, okay, you're on the other side, I can't be friends with you ever. No. You know me, you've known me, and these are things I've said to him directly on Facebook, you've known me since childhood, Okay, um, all the stuff you're posting about Islam, you know is ridiculous. You know that I'm not the enemy. Okay? Uh, but he has so drunk the Kool-Aid, I think it would break his brain okay, to, to face that, literally. And yeah, it's, it's like he has bought into Fox News completely, and he can't even conceive of anything else. And he even posted, this is what Sharia is, and has all these little pictures. It's pedophilia, raping women, beheading people, cutting off people's hands, blah, 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 blah. And so another one of his friends jumps in, says, we know that this is what Sharia is, Omar. And I said, you really think this is what it is? If that's what it is, then Mike would be dead by now, because we went to school together, and I would have killed him if that's what Sharia is, right? Okay? You know? Oh, I got, I got meaner, right? So, and also this other Mike, they're both, his name was Mike, and this other Mike jumped in and says, yeah, I want to be part of this discussion. And he, <laughs> yeah, I told some of you this, yeah. Yeah, all right? And so he posts a photo of Braveheart. You guys know the movie Braveheart? Okay, so he has this, you know, Mel Gibson with 1980s rock and roll star hair and painted face. And he says, I'm here to pick a fight, right? And then I posted, okay, it's kind of strange that you posted Braveheart, because Braveheart lost, right? <laughs> yeah, you, you know, like that. But perhaps the meanest thing, but I was being frank, but it was probably too hard for him. Both of the mics started posting to, uh, for their friends, we have to call our congressmen uh, because they're going to cut off funding for the VA. The VA is the Veterans Administration. Like, you know, when you come back from war, you're wounded. Then you go to them, and they take care of you. And so we have to make sure that these get funded. And I said, okay, I've done work in the VA. I've done a little bit, a little bit of pastoral care in the VA. And I said, aside from all the good people who are there, the government doesn't care about you. Right? And at a different point, I said, uh, nobody should disrespect soldiers, but I do disrespect the politicians who are sending you to die. Right? But think about what I uh, uh, unintentionally or intentionally did. I basically said, all your fellow Marines who died, it was a waste. Right? And yeah, he unfriended me. Right? Uh, but then I even sent him a note after that saying, look, you know me. Right? We'll see what happens. I mean, it's not over yet. But the point I'm making is that there's a whole population of people in this country who are more afraid of you and I, literally more terrified of you and I, than you and I are of what's going around. So think about how much fear you might have. I'm telling you there are people who are actually more afraid. There are people who are far, far more afraid. I'm saying that because I've been and I've talked to them. I've been in their houses. Uh, you would think people who have religion you know, would have some degree of confidence. Um, but the approach that they've been given to religion is just ridiculous, right? It's more America becomes their religion rather than Christianity. And so, in a way, I'm saying that also as a way to comfort you, okay? that people are afraid of us, okay? 
which is kind of laughable, a point that I have to make to people who really say to me that Muslims are in this you know, secret path to take over the world. I'd say, okay, if that's what we're trying to do. We're obviously not doing a good job of it. You know, I mean, and they're like, oh, they don't understand. Because nobody really thinks uh, much about these points. What do you think? Do you have to go? You're like, this is too much material. No, 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 let's go. Any thoughts? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. From it because, like, for the past four and a half, five-ish years, yeah. um, I have gone to so many rallies. Like, my parents were almost the complete opposite. Like, we talk politics kind of, like, all the time. We talk about, like, You're Pakistani? Yes. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yes, exactly. Um, so, like... Are you guys Pakistani? Well, See? Exactly. I'm okay. <laughs> Pakistani politics. Exactly. Yeah. And so... Like, I, my dad, like, encouraged going to protest. My dad, really? Yeah. Like, he, like, I went Okay, to that's not normal for, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, like, my, yeah. my dad's, like, very much, like, you should go out there, you should talk to, like, politicians. Does your dad have an accent? Is he, like, you must protest, is he? Kind of. He okay. does. He has, like, yeah. a little bit of a, like, a lower voice, but he's been here for, like, 40 years, ah. I think. But he grew like, up here? And I, yeah, I was born. No, he did. He, no, he wasn't. He was, he's, like, old. Um, he, I mean, he was, like, 19, 17. Okay, college here. Okay, one shoulder. Um, yeah, 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 but... So, and he's like, he like encourages like protesting and like going there and rallies and like, like I talk to like congressmen, he like takes me to like talk to everybody. And like, the, the thing is though, like, after all of that, like, yeah. you, you're fighting for so many different things. Uh -huh. like, after four years, like, you're sitting down and I'm like watching the news and it's still like, there's so much, like, I'm, I'm just tired. And, if you like, and do you feel like anything was accomplished? Yes and no, because I've also had to have, like, those conversations mm -hmm. with, like, those people who are, like, Trump supporters who have told me that I'm really, really stupid. And some of them have been, like, on air. And, like, I've been, like, shown, like, talking mm -hmm. to these people. And, like, a lot of these people I have been able to change some sort of aspect, or at least about, like, me and as a person. will be like, oh, you're not a bad person, mm -hmm. but everybody else is. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, I mean, like, policy-wise, like, I don't, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Like, I fought for so many different types of policy, whether it be like Black Lives Matter, like mm -hmm. types of policies that support like reforming the criminal justice system, to, like mm -hmm. women empowerment, to, like less, I mean, like more gun laws or mm -hmm. whatever. But like no, I don't feel like any policy. Mm -hmm. like, really, there's like nothing coming out of it. Like okay, yeah, like, because so. So there's a lot of really good points you made there. One is just about about protesting in general and the exhaustion that you started with. Um, when we started the school year, the, the sentiment across our Muslim community campus, really it seemed like we were all worn out. Because remember, remember all the stuff that happened during the summer. You know, Orlando, bombing in Medina of all places, Istanbul, Bangladesh, where else were there bombings? And of course, Syria, Palestine, what else was there? Uh, Paris. Paris was in the summer too, right? Turkey. And there are a bunch of things, yeah. But, but the point is that by time, are you raising your hand? Yeah, Orlando is like one of the, the, the big ones in terms of uh, proximity. But um, so usually the school year, everybody's full of energy. And this year really felt like everyone started the school year, including myself, worn out, right? And, and I was talking to my boss who looked at this letter that, that she sent to like the whole Muslim community. And she's even realizing how worn out she is, right? It's not just us that are worn out. Everybody's worn out. And, and on, one on one part of it is just all the stuff that's happening in the world, but I also do think social media exacerbates it quite a bit mm -hmm. because you're getting bombarded right. with you know, horrendous images, horrendous ideas, you know, and such, and cynicism. And I think that wears out people even more, right? And, and so you know, why wouldn't people feel exhausted before even attending a single protest? With protests, one of the issues is that it's very easy to feel like if you had a lot of people show up, it's very easy to feel like you've had a victory. Right. Right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of our protests don't have a targeted goal. Exactly. Right? And that's one of the strengths that Dr. King had, that for all the protests, they had a targeted goal. Right. This is what we want in this small town as part of the bigger goal, you know, whether it's on Selma or whatever. Yeah. And a lot of our protests, essentially, because there isn't a targeted goal, Let's all show up and become symbolic, right. okay? And what that just basically means is, in theory, we're saying we're all angry, we're not going to take it anymore, but right. if we're doing it on a Sunday and we're not really obstructing anybody's business, mm -hmm. why would that convince the president to do anything different, right? right? 
oh, you guys got 3 million people to show up at the Women's March? Yeah, 60 million people voted for me. See what I'm saying? Yeah. And so uh, part of the challenge of activism is to have targeted goals um, and then figure out what is the strategy to get there. So think of it this way. It's one thing to show up at the airport uh, and then you know, start singing with the, with, the, with, the, with the tabla. What is it? We believe that we will win, right? right? That, have you seen that video? That video is amazing. It's like the greatest video I've ever seen. Anyway, so, so much love. So, um, but it's very different if, you, if that same amount of people, and I'm not advising this, but I'm saying everyone will understand the difference, that, all right, um, you block senators and congressmen from being able to get to, getting to their office. Right. Then they have to listen to you, right? So I am suggesting that a lot of our activism is more symbol than right. substance. Yeah. Okay? And then what you're going to see is you're not really getting results because why would you get results? There's no goal, right? And then you get exhausted and worn out. Okay? Part of it, is, another difference is that the difference between power and the masses even now at your age is even greater than it was at my age. We have social media, which gives us a whole other realm with which to communicate and such. Um, but, for example, uh, when we were in the rush to war uh, on Iraq in 2003, there were massive, massive protests throughout Chicago, to the point where they would shut a street down, um, like a major street for, for the protests. But all the president had to do was just outlast everybody, because those guys have full-time jobs, the people who are in the rush to war, activism, activists, um, are going outside of work and they have to eat. And, and so, and I don't have answers for this, one of the challenges is to figure out what is the appropriate method for our era. Because one of the challenges back then, and you see this in, in the King movie, is part of what Dr. King wanted to do was to make sure all these things were shown on television. Okay? Yeah. But now what do you do? If you're a part of power, you blast all kinds of false news. Okay? So you make it look like the people who are upright and stand for justice, that those people are violent. So you guys heard about what happened in Berkeley, Berkeley yesterday, exactly. right? So this super wild right-wing guy who, Milo Lalianopoulos, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, um, he's speaking, and everywhere he goes, he causes a commotion. And so all these students at Berkeley protested. And then somebody started a fire, and people got really violent. So one possibility is that the people who are protesting Milo were the people who got violent, some among them. Another possibility is that 95%, 99% of the people were, were peaceful, but 1% started it. Or maybe somebody on Milo's side um, you know, went and pretended like they were part of the crowd, and they started it to say, look at how violent these people are. That's what happens in Palestine. You'll have the people who are the rabble-rousers. I had a meeting with, with federal agents three weeks ago now, and, you know, they were, I was giving them presentations on Islam and this and that. They were asking me, you know, do you feel like we're, we're going in the right direction? And this was before the inauguration. I said, okay, all bets are off with the inauguration because what this person is saying, who knows what's going to happen. But I also said that, okay, everybody in the Muslim community assumes that there's informants in, in, every, in every Islamic center. And the guy who's preaching radicalism and anger is probably the informant, right? And the message that I'm giving to them is that, okay, we're not the... The, we're not the crazy rabble rousers. It's usually the guys that you are, that you are, the, who are your stooges who are doing that, right? And so the point is that that's what power can do, right? And then power will then show videos. Look at how violent all these people are, and then they show it to their supporters, and that only emboldens them. So there's a big need for very, very different strategies, and I don't really know what they are. As far as policy, that is a very different strategy, okay? Because policy, then you're going against interests like the U.S. military. Okay. Um, then you're going against interests like you know the other different states, and that's a whole different level of diplomacy and those conversations. So it's kind of like what I'm saying is you do need a part of the crowd that is doing the on-the-ground activist work, but then you also need those people who are at the table with them. And usually the activists will call them sellouts, but often they're not sellouts. Sometimes they definitely are, who get into conversations, person-to-person conversation. Because one of the things that I always find fascinating that I really started understanding now more than ever is, um, and I'll be writing this in one of the MSA letters, is that when Musa salam was told to go talk to Pharaoh, how did Allah tell him to talk to him? Speak to him gently. This is Fir'aun, who is regarded essentially in the Quran as the worst human ever to live. Okay? The worst tyrant ever to live. 
and Musa alayhi salam is being told to go talk to him gently. Why? Because he's still a person. Okay? And I'm not talking about treating him with nobility. I'm saying just logically. If you talk to him angrily, that's not going to convince him to do anything. But maybe you can soften him a little bit. Because this is like, you guys saw that video, and it's hard not to laugh at it. Laugh at it. That, that neo-Nazi guy who got punched, yeah. right? And then people like, you know, connected to music and everything. It's hard not to laugh at it. But uh, do you think punching him in the face is going to convince him to change his views? Right? Oh, man, if I'm a Nazi, people are going to punch me, so I better not be a Nazi. That's not going to happen. Like, if you punch Donald Trump in the face, a lot of people are going to cheer. Audhu Billah, this is not endorsing any of that. But, um, <laughs> but the point is that, do you think Donald Trump is suddenly going to have a change of heart? How would any, Abdullah, how would you feel if you're at some Palestine thing and someone punches you in the face? Are you going to say, oh, you know, you're right. You know, maybe the occupation is a good thing. Are you going to do that? No, definitely not. And so, see, the point is that we are dealing with people and their human emotions. And that's part of the strategy, too. Right? But I'm also saying I don't really have answers on what is the grand strategy. But the real question is, if you had an opportunity to punch Donald Trump in the face, I'm saying if I had an opportunity to punch a person in power in, in the face, would I be tempted? Probably. Um, but I know that if I did that, then that person would use it as an excuse to launch a war, right? I mean, look at the easiest example. 9-11 is the easiest example. 9-11, I mean, going by the official story, conspiracy theories aside, 9-11 gave America permission to destroy almost the rest of the world, right? The Taliban did not attack us. The excuse we use is that, okay, anyone who is, who is giving them support. So we obliterated what was left of Afghanistan. Iraq had nothing to do with this, and we obliterated what was left of Iraq, and Yemen, and North Africa, and eventually leading to you know so-called Arab Spring. See what I'm saying? That's the challenge. And this is also the case if you look at the seerah, the Prophet, peace be upon him. What was his instruction to the Sahaba while they're in Mecca? Kufu keep your hands tied. Why? When the Quraysh is torturing the Sahaba. Okay, I mean, these are people who's, who are accustomed to fighting, whose norm is fighting. And the Prophet is saying, no, you don't strike back. Why? What would happen? The Quraysh would use that as an excuse to just totally wipe them out. Right? Or they could say, look at these guys. You know, they're, they're not that great. They're just, they're just rebels. But if you are taking it, then at least, number one, uh, people are seeing that you're not violent. Okay? Number two, you've got to be generating people's sympathy. It becomes clear who's right and who's wrong. But then at a later point, when they did have size and strength, then the Prophet Bison became very aggressive. Right? And this is the point that people also don't uh, ignore about Palestine. Palestinian movement was 100% nonviolent until 1987. No, I should say 90% nonviolent. Who did the first suicide bombing in Palestine, in Israel? Anybody know? The Japanese Red Army. Yeah. These are Japanese communists. They did the first suicide bombing. And then you had the PFLP, which was Christians, you know, Christian Palestinians, who, who, who started shooting up uh, planes and stuff. But the Intifada takes place in 87. So 40 years, uh, the, the Muslim portion of Palestine was, was nonviolent. And then the response was that, okay, this has not gotten us anywhere. So now it's uprising. See what I'm saying? Um, and then, because then the accusations look, these guys are all violent, but they were completely nonviolent for 40 years, right? Out of what is now 60. But the point that I'm making here is that these things have to be uh, done with proper strategy, with specific goals. And so, yeah, there is a type of satisfaction, a very uh, almost evil satisfaction in doing something like that, but then it is almost. Uh, the opposite of what you want. And another example of that is Muammar Gaddafi. How did he die? Like, like the worst, I mean, so, so there's the Arab Spring in Tunisia, and these people uh, storm Gaddafi, and I mean, you know how horrendous the things they did to him or to his dead body with poles. Okay, let your imagination go, and that's probably correct. And what is that? That's not human, right? There is a sick joy that people get from it, but it's not human, right? And that's not our way, right? Because that's the Battle of Uhud. Battle of Uhud, the, the Quraysh got so excited that they finally beat the Muslims that they started desecrating all the bodies, right? 
And then Abu Sufyan's like, no, 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 this is not our way. And these are the Jahils who are saying, okay, yeah, yeah this, is, this is not our way. Right. So yeah, uh, these are uh, very, very big questions. Uh, but what I'm suggesting as a starting point um, is that uh, a person really has to embrace where they are with Allah Ta'ala. And part of that is embracing your powerlessness. But I am suggesting that can free you from a lot of fear. Right. Any other questions or thoughts about um, what's been going on? Fears, concerns, hopes. What are you most excited about this year? What am I most excited about this year? Summer vacation. No. Um, um, I mean, there's still a part of me that's optimistic. Right? Um, you know, <clears throat> there's a part, it's like one ear I have to the ground you know, paying attention to everything, wondering what we should do, trying to come up with ideas on what we should do. Nobody has any ideas, right? Um, and another is, okay, you continue business as usual, which means not living life normally, living life to fulfill your aspirations, right? One of those will be the correct pathway in the long run, but don't close a pathway right now. A lot of students have been coming to me saying, like, they feel like they're in despair. Why try anything? Everything's going to end, right? I think that's wrong, right? Um, you should keep working at full speed or work even harder. You know, I've just suddenly gotten this motivation to just consume books like crazy. I barely ever consume books, right? And so since the beginning of the year, I think I've already gone through like eight books, right? Which for me probably exceeds like the last three years combined, right? Just to consume, 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 consume. And so, so I think for this, it's been uh, a moment for me to... Uh, get even more intense, right? I mean, there's, there's an ayah that I like quite a bit. Uh, this is in Surat Ali Imran, and I think it's in the context of the Battle of Uhud. Uh, I don't remember, but I think I mentioned one of the letters um, where the hypocrites are telling you, okay, everyone's gathering against you. It might even be the Ahzab, but that sounds more like Ahzab, but they're all gathering against you. And for the believers, the true believers, this actually increases them in faith, right? All these people are coming on the attack against us, for the true believers, this actually increases them in faith, right? And there is something in there that's very much like me, and Adam, I'm not saying I'm a person of super faith, that if something is impossible, then I get interested. If it's not impossible, then I'm like, yeah, yeah, who cares, right? So, Muzaffar versus the whole MSA is a lot more fun than, you know, one-on-one. One-on-one, I might actually lose, right? But versus the whole MSA, then it's impossible. That's more fun. You guys beat me this year. I was just toba toba. Yeah. So, so I mean, so there is uh, a certain amount of excitement—not excitement or optimism, but curiosity about what the future holds. But I'm saying honestly, uh, there isn't not much reason to believe that things are going to get easier anytime soon. And this is also a very very important point too, right? That I, we do have, uh, when you grow up in America, you almost have like what we call like a suburban mentality where you believe that the default of life is that things should be peaceful and quiet. That's not the default of life. That's only the default of life in the American imagination. For the rest of the world, the default of life is struggle. Right. And there's a line, it was in the Sopranos TV show that I completely ruined the line. And I'm not saying you should all watch the Sopranos, but um, Tony Soprano is this mob boss, this mobster, and he's talking to this woman who has one leg. And she's from some Eastern European country. And he says, every time I look at you, you're so happy and, like, I'm so miserable. And I look at your life and I look at my life. You know, he lives in a mansion and everything. And she, you know, she's just, I don't even think she has a home. She's like a caretaker, babysitter type thing. And she says something like, you know, in America, you guys all believe that, like, you deserve paradise. Okay. And we all assume we're going to get hell. So if you feel like you deserve paradise and you're getting less than that, then you're going to feel upset. If you feel like you're expecting hell and you're not getting it, you're going to feel better, right? So there is something in our American idealism that makes us more upset than we actually need to be, more disappointed than we need to be, um, because we kind of think that normal life is not a life with struggle. But for literally the whole rest of the world, normal life is struggle. I mean, think of, think of your relatives overseas, 
you know, and you can probably give examples from your relatives overseas who, who uh, probably experience, in many cases, a whole lot more struggle than we do. And I'm not minimizing the struggles you guys go through, right? But I'm guessing uh, you and I probably have way more comfort than a whole lot of our relatives do, right? Uh, but that's also human nature. Like, you know, those narrations we have of the person who lived like a prince, and then Allah Ta'ala puts them in hell for like two seconds and comes out and brings them out and says, has Allah ever given you any good? No. Right? Even though the person was in hell for two seconds. Or the person who is in like nonstop painful struggle for, for an entire lifetime, and then Allah puts that person in paradise for two seconds. Has Allah ever caused you difficulty? No. Right? And that's also part of human nature too. It's easy to forget, you know, the good that happened if you're in a bad situation. It's easy to forget the bad that happened if you're in a good situation. That's very much human nature. But I am also suggesting that, you know, I like your point, your very important point, mashallah, is that, yeah, struggle is the norm. That's not the exception. The exception is peace and quiet. And you all see this, inshallah, when you have, parents, when you have children. Yeah. You know, some of us might be deciding, I'm never going to have children, but, uh, but the point being... <laughs> so the point being that... Uh, yeah, you're going to see this. When you have children, okay, relaxation is gone. Okay? Peace and quiet, gone. I mean, even when I was with my kids, you know how much of a struggle it is to get them out of bed? Like, when they were over in winter break, like, their day would start at 2, and they'd go to sleep, like, at 4. Right? And then they're like, what? What's wrong with this? Right? Yeah, exactly. You know? And suddenly, like, I start hearing my mother and father's voices all the times they yelled at me, get up, it's one o'clock, right? Yeah. Sorry? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Blew the whole day. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So, yeah, every, every single, I'm sorry? No, I was saying, we don't understand Oh. I know, they're basically you know, quoting things from, from, from you know, Pakistani moms. You, know, you wasted the whole day. What's the point of praying Fajr if you're going to go to sleep right after? Right? I am even bobbling my head. Right? So, no, like, <laughs> winter break was so amazing because it was like you pray Fajr and you go to sleep and you wake up to catch the heart. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, and I do remember when I was in college, right? When I was in college, Ramadan was during the school year. And, you know, you... You eat suhoor, seri, then you go to sleep, right? You do fajr, you go to sleep, and then you wake up just in time for iftar. And, I mean, it was just awesome, right? You know, and then you're just all up all night. It's like, oh, perfect time, iftar. What a great fast. You know, eat, and then you're just up all night, right? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Any other questions, thoughts? You look like you have another one. Me? Yeah. I mean, I guess like a comment that came to my head last night when I was talking to my parents about this whole, like, we, we, we watch, like, the news every night, so then, of course, we got to follow it up with communication. Um, but we were just talking about how, you know, like, most movies, most politicians, you know, we, the, our pitch is, like, we are the leaders of the free world, yeah. we are the superpower of the world. I mean, Allah, like, you know, makes everyone, like, drop down a couple notches when mm -hmm. we... We get too arrogant mm -hmm. and a little too um, full of ourselves. So, in that sense, it's like when you think about it that way, it's like okay, it's not surprising that this is happening, but it also sucks because it's it's not like we're losing power in like our military or something like that. We're losing power where those who are most vulnerable mm -hmm. are getting hurt, not those who are at the top of the ladder. Mm -hmm. And that's how it often works, right? Um, if you look at the whole rise and fall of empires and great nations, it looks a whole like, a whole lot like we're at that latter edge of, of the decline of an empire, right? Some things you find are an extensive military uh, um, and going to war just to sustain your economy. This is not the first time that, that you've had that. You even had this with, with declining Muslim empires too, going all the way back to the Umayyad Empire, which is shortly after the Prophet, peace be upon him where you literally, you start going to war, um, and the real reason is just to sustain your economy. But then that means you have to invest in your military more, which is a more of a strain on your economy, meaning it's, it's like you're just surviving, you're just struggling to keep, your, keep alive, you know, one additional day, one additional year. Uh, that's probably why the real reason why we went to Iraq, um, 
part of it is, you know, all these people can exploit it and such, but part of it is, you know, they saw the future of what America is, and they thought, all right, this is a battle to the death now, right? And, and so uh, when the Ottoman Empire was getting dismantled, Sultan Abdul Hamid the second, he was the leader of the Ottoman Empire. The British basically get, put him on a boat and sent him you know, to safety, right? Usually the captain goes down with the ship. No, the, the people of, of privilege and power, they just move to a different place and continue as is. And all the vulnerable people get wiped out. Just like with the, the Spanish Inquisition, when, when Muslims and Jews were getting wiped out. I mean, some of the things that they were doing in the Spanish Inquisition, um, like they would have, hol- like first of all, you were not allowed to take a bath on Friday, okay? So that was, to, that was then going to make it harder for, for Muslims who had to go to Jummah, right? Um, they had some holiday where everyone had to eat pork, okay? Like, literally. And part of the point was to weed out all these other people who are living in hiding. And there were even a population of people called the Moranos and the Moriscos. The Moranos were, were Jews who were hiding the fact that they're Jews, Moriscos were Muslims who were hiding the fact that they were Muslims, because otherwise they're going to get persecuted. But these were people who didn't have the capability of leaving the country. So a lot of people escaped from Spain, went to North Africa, or went into into Europe. Um, but a lot of people didn't have that uh, that capability, and that's how a lot of the world works. Right? Everything then gets balanced out on the day of judgment. And that's another thing you also have to keep reminding yourself about. Right? No matter how much exploitation is there is in the world no one can escape the Day of Judgment. And so it may be that a person who has the entirely worst experience in dunya possible may wind up with the best in the Akhirah. But it's also possible that someone who has a bad experience in dunya rejects Allah and then has a horrible Akhirah too. Somebody here was raising a hand. Are you talking about the Inquisition? Yeah, yeah. he was. He was yeah. like, they took away the faith forcibly. Yeah. And that's, like, it's gonna, and we're inching closer to that. It might happen like that. And it's kind of basically the point was, like, to hold on to your faith. Yeah, that's kind of like the whole theme here. That at the end of the day, all you have uh, left is, is your iman. Right? And I'm saying, as someone with, with a bit of experience, again, with, with struggle and self-imposed struggle, that... Uh, without Iman, then you got nothing. And all of us are at different levels, and we might feel like our Iman is lower than it should be, but that's true for all of us. And it's something you just little start to start growing little by little, right? Uh, that you are never too evil or too wretched to turn to Allah. Okay? You are never too pathetic to turn to Allah. Okay? Every single one of us has that level of value. That, it's as though if we turn to Allah... He welcomes us with open arms, right? None of us are too pathetic. Because a lot of times what happens, especially in statistically or anecdotally, it's more women than, than men who come to me and say, you know, Allah hates me and all that, and that's not true, right? Uh, you just have to turn to Allah and allow yourself to cry before Allah. And Allah's your creator, right? And, and turn. Um, okay, well, I guess with, with that, we'll, we'll, we'll stop right here. But that is the overall theme for, for this session, is, you know, work on your relationship with Allah Ta'ala, at the very, very least, to give yourself some calm in the storm. Uh, but obviously, all the other reasons, you know, you should have a good relationship with Allah. All right. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natubi ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natubi ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfirka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah tell the word you all. Wa akhirat da'wana anilhamdulillah.